Okay, they always make me like a little teary and choked up a little bit when I watch those videos, so bear with me. Operation Christmas Child, we started getting the boxes out last week. Some of you picked some up last week. We are going to keep boxes around as long as we have them. Uh, we might be short this year, but as you saw in the video, there are other ways to, um, you don't have to use these cardboard boxes that we provide. You can use plastic shoe boxes, and you can also use shoe boxes that you have at home and just wrap them up or make them look cute. But anyway, I wanted to share with you. This says since 1993, Samaritan's Purse has distributed over 135 million shoebox gifts to children around the world in Jesus' name. So we are hoping to add to that. The last couple years, we've averaged around 200 boxes. As always, I'd love to see more, but 200 boxes is great. If you want to join us, go ahead and grab a box today or use other shoe boxes that you have available. Bring them in before or on collection week. So as soon as you get it packed, you can bring it back to church. Collection week is November 14th through the 21st. Karen McFadden, shout out to her. She already brought her box back after picking it up last week. She did everything right. <laughs> she uh, took her brochure. She tore off the back of it, put her seven, $7 in it, stuck it in the box, taped her girl or boy badge to the front of the box, marked the age of the child that the box is intended for, and put a beautiful rubber band around the outside so they can get into it in Minnesota, make sure everything's good, and get that money out too so they can send it on their way. On your chairs, I put these uh, little bookmarks and they are just a prayer guide that we ask. You might um, put them in your Bible or up on your fridge as a reminder. And pray with us this year during Collection Week, the 14th through the, the 21st of November. And on the back, you have a Sunday through Saturday prayer guide. So if you would join us in prayer, because that is honestly the most important thing that we put in our box. So uh, thank you. If you want to join us this year, grab a box today or next week, or as long as we have them, and bring them right back to us. Thank you so much. Have fun with this, and please pray with us, too. Thank you. Amen. We're going to continue our uh, worship service this morning through songs and, and also offering. If you're here for the first time, uh, we encourage you to just pass the offering bag uh, and, and then just give it to the person next to you. But we're going to continue to sing uh, a song that you might know. If not, you'll catch on. God, we, uh, we truly are desperate for you. And God, until we choose to lay every earthly idol down before you, until we know, not only in our heads, but in our hearts, God, that the riches of this world will fade to anything that we are holding on to besides Jesus Christ is going to fade away and will not sustain us, God. So we just want our hearts and our lives, God, to say, I surrender everything, everything that I'm running after right now, everything that I think is going to fulfill, only fulfills temporarily, and so I surrender that, God, I completely give it up, because the only thing I want 
is your will. Not my will, but your will be done in my life because I know that that is the only abundant life that I could ever live is living out your will for me, God. I want to live life to the full. I want to live this life proclaiming the name of Jesus and making his name great. I pray that on every person in this room, God, that we would surrender everything. God, that we would give it up, that we would give you our hurt, give you our pain because it was all redeemed on the cross of Jesus, that we are covered in his blood, God, and now we can stand free because we have surrendered everything in the name of Jesus. I pray that we would do that this morning, God. We love you and we need you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. Man, I'm thankful for this whole team up here. The rest of the team, I know that you, th- you know that I'm thankful for you. Um, I'm very thankful for Pablo and Bethany. And so, um, selfishly, I want to pray that they get to Romania and then God says, turn around and go back. Um, because... Um, I love them, and I want them here with us, but I know that in talking to them, and as um, Pablo forgets every week, it shows how impactful it is, but he forgets the Occupy Your Street thing, shows you how much of a, of a difference it's made in his life. I'm just kidding. Um, but in our conversations, I know what their heart is, and I know that their heart is that God has called them to Romania. I pray every day that God would never call me to leave this country, um, but if he does... I need to be willing to go, but God has called them to go, and I think about what they're about to embark on, and it scares me just thinking about it, right? Um, and it gets me nervous for them, because, uh, because I love them and I'm friends with them, but I know that their heart is that God has called them to go to Romania. I also know that their heart is that God has called every single person in this room to live where you are, when you are, Right? That every believer on the face of this planet is called to be a missionary. So often we think of missionaries as people who go to different countries. But every single believer is called to be a missionary. It means that you are sent with a mission. Most of the time we don't act because we don't feel like we have a clear mission. Well, God has given you a mission where you are, when you are. In Acts 17, Paul is in Athens, and he says to them, hey, I've been walking around, and I've been looking at um, your, your places of worship and your idols of worship, and I saw here an idol that said, to an unknown God. And he said, what you say is unknown. I'm going to proclaim to you as the God of the universe, the God that created everything that you see, and the God that created you. And in verse 26 of Acts 17, he says this, and he, God, made every one, made from one man... Every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. That struck me. I I have read that passage a number of times. But the fact that God has placed every single one of you exactly where you are, when you are. Do you get that? That this is your generation This is when you are alive. So God has a job for you. You are sent by God with a mission where you are right now. So you are a missionary. Part of our mission we know is to occupy our street. I don't know what God's specific assignment for you is. But I do know that for every single one of you, 
Part of that mission is to occupy your street with the love of Jesus, leading people everywhere to a devoted relationship with Jesus Christ. That is our mission statement here, and that's what we want to live by, and that's our mission statement because it reflects the great commission that we should go and make disciples of all nations everywhere, starting right here where we live, right? And I know that that's Pablo and Bethany's heart for this church as they're going to be praying for us as we're praying for them that they can go occupy their street we want to continue to occupy our street here. So the challenge is, and, and, I, and I give you these challenges to say pray for this every day, pray for this every day, pray for this every day. Well, if the list gets too long, things to pray for every day, I'm going to be praying for a long time. Well, guess what? That's the point. Because for me, I know that when I get into the point where I'm like, man, I want to do that. I hear something cool and I'm, I'm inspired by something. And I was like, I want to live that in my life. And then guess what? I think that on Sunday and Monday morning I get up and I forget about it, right? And so this is what we need to pray every day. You need to pray every day that God would give you the courage because not, not just that God would show you what you're supposed to do today. You already know what you're supposed to do today. You, you are supposed to occupy your street with the love of Jesus. But what do you need? What are the things that keep us from actually doing that? Whatever they are for you. For me, it's fear, right? Fear of rejection. Fear of not succeeding, Whatever it is for you, you pray every single day, God, give me the courage. Even when I'm afraid, I want to act. Even when I'm afraid, I want to act. Give me the courage to do whatever it is you've called me to do today. Karen McFadden was, man, Karen, you're just awesome. You're getting like all the attention this morning. So she, she said uh, to me, first, she's an overachiever and she fills her box perfectly uh, so that anyone else that comes after her is going to do it wrong. Right? I'm just kidding. Um, but she told me this morning, she was talking to, where, what were you at again? Lunch. Okay, lunch. Like, I forgot that. Okay, she was at lunch, and she was talking to a Greek Orthodox woman. This woman came up to her and whispered something like, how do you, how do you know where you're going to go when you die? How can you be sure where you're going to go when you die? And I, I look at that, and I, I say, you know what? Yeah, God gives awesome opportunities like that. But you know what? I think he gave that opportunity to Karen. Because you hold your hands open and you say, God, give me the courage to do today what you want me to do. If today you are faithful with the little bit that God puts in your hand to do, however big or small that is, tomorrow he's going to give you more to be faithful with. And then the day after that, he's going to give you more to be faithful with and more to be faithful with and more to be faithful with. That's why when I look at a woman like Karen, that's why God has given her this, these opportunities because she's faithful with the little bit that God has put in her hand. And then tomorrow, he's going to give her more to be faithful with, more to be faithful with. And so that's what we want to encourage you to do. Pray every day for the courage to do what God has put in your hand to be faithful with. Anyway, we're going to move on in our series in James, a series called Mail from James like that. Um, and uh, this is a how-to for Christ followers everywhere. It's written specifically to an audience suffering persecution, and they've been scattered to a place that was not their home because of their allegiance to Jesus. Last week we started in James chapter 1 and did the first eight verses. Today we're going to start at verse 9, so turn in your Bibles to James chapter 1. If you don't have one, there might be one in a seat in front of you, close, or you can use your phone, whatever it is. Uh, it'll be on the screen as well. James is uh, after Hebrews and before Peter, near the end of the Bible. Get there to James chapter 1, and we're going to go 9 to 18. James chapter 1, verse 9. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, and the rich in his humiliation, 
Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought, brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creation. So we're going to call this, uh, this, this sermon Two Kingdoms. Last week, we talked about the fact that there is struggle in this life, that struggle and hardship and trials will be a part of life here on earth, but through them we should consider being joyful because we want, we truly desire what the Holy Spirit is imparting in us and producing inside of us when things get really hard, right? And so we're joyful. We consider being joyful through that trial because of what will be accomplished in our hearts. We'll become more like Jesus through that. And when it gets really hard to be joyful, when, it's, when you're just like, I'm trying, I'm trying to consider joy, and I'm just not joyful, what do you do? You pray, you pray, you pray, and you do not stop praying until God gives you the wisdom and how to be joyful through that situation. So get, James kind of goes, he goes from topic to topic in, in, in this book, and it's really as I look at the book of James, he's always presenting the best He's always presenting the best possible way to react to a situation or to look at a situation, to respond to situations in life. It's almost like Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. We did a Sermon on the Mount series a while ago, and Jesus constantly is saying, you have heard it said this, dot, 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 whatever. It's like, you've heard it said this way, but I say to you, do it this way, okay? Whatever you've heard about how to respond to this situation, I tell you, Respond this way, because this way is best, right? So James has said there is a natural, earthly way to react or to look at your current situation. But it may not be the best way to react, and it could possibly be sinful. So he's saying, so let me present to you a better way. Let me present to you the best way, okay? Here is the way that someone who is part of the kingdom of God should live out this kind of situation, right? So we have the kingdom of God and we have the kingdom of this earth. The first question that we all need to ask, and this, kind of, this question comes, kind of comes in the form of a statement, right? And so another thing that we forget, right? We forget every day. Sometimes, even though we're believers, we can wake up tomorrow morning and really the first thing on our minds, often the first thing on my mind is not God, right? 
And so if I, just, if I just get up and start going on with my life, I don't necessarily start thinking, how today can I serve God? What does God want from me today? I start thinking of all of the things I have to do on my to-do list that are probably going to bring me anxiety, right? And they're probably going to steer me away from keeping my eyes on Jesus, right? Those are kinds of the first things that I think about. So we need to fill our list with here are a bunch of first things we should think about. So part of the first things you should think about when you wake up, along with all the things you should pray when you wake up, is this question, right? In the form of a statement, it's this. Choose today which kingdom you will serve. All right? If you're writing anything down this morning, if you've got a bulletin, there's a spot to write this stuff down, or you can text it to your spouse or text it to yourself or whatever you want. But write that down. Choose today which kingdom you will serve. So James presents, there is a way that a follower of Jesus needs to do this life, and guess what? It is different than what you are fed every day of your life. It's different than what your natural mind tells you when you wake up. It is different than what you're hearing at work. It's different than what you're hearing constantly, day in and day out, from Satan as you live this life. There's a way to live as part of the kingdom of God, and it's different from what this world will tell you. So let's go through this passage. We're going to be in verse 9 through 11 to start off here. And, and, and James, right now, he gets specific. He's already been talking about trial, but right now he gets specific about the trial of money. Okay, so if finances is one of those things, I can tell you what. If you're married, you're going to fight over finances at some point in your marriage. Right? I'm just saying. You're going to fight over finances at some point in your marriage. And for everyone, finances becomes this thing that we are concerned with. And it becomes a trial for people who have a lot of money, and it becomes a trial for people who have not a lot of money. And so this speaks directly to that trial. So let's read verse 9 through 11. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuit. So he says, here's the deal. In this world, there are rich people and there are poor people, right? There are rich people and there are poor people. But in heaven, okay, in heaven, they are the same. There is no distinction between the rich and the poor in heaven. If we are living for and as part of the kingdom of God, we need to stop putting a differentiation between the rich and the poor. Later on in James' book, in James' letter to us, he talks about not um, preferring one over the other, not playing favorites, right? If we're going to live as part of the kingdom of God, then we need to stop putting a distinction between the rich and the poor because money becomes a struggle for the poor because they never have enough and they're constantly worried about it, right? But what does Jesus say about that? He says, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry because I clothe the flowers of the field and I promise you that I will clothe you even more beautifully than they. Because you belong to Jesus, so do not worry. So for the poor, they never have enough, and they're constantly worrying. For the rich, there's the temptation to put way too much trust in that money to get them through this life. I mean, Heather and I have even said to each other before, man, I wish 
that we just had more money so that we wouldn't have to worry. I wish that we wouldn't have to think about this stuff. I wish this. I wish this. I wish this. And you know why? Because it's our mind is on things of the earth, not on what God can provide for us and what God has proven over and over and over and over again that he can provide for us. And we end up forgetting. And our mind becomes on the trial and the struggle right in front of us. For the poor, it's saying, boast in the fact that in God's kingdom you are provided for and you do not need to worry. Because for the poor people of this earth, right, who are not living as part of the kingdom of God, who are are, are thinking from an earthly perspective, their only option is worry. Their only option is despair. When you've got no money, right, For the homeless, it's far from Jesus. That's why Jesus wants us to serve the homeless, to give them hope beyond their circumstance. Their only option is to worry. But it's saying, not in the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, you know that you will always be provided for. Therefore, you do not need to worry. And for the rich, boast in your humble estate, understanding that your riches will never, ever, ever earn you favor with God. Right? This is what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that money's bad, right? Because there are plenty of Christians everywhere who have a lot of money. I'm begging the question, how do we think about our money? And what are we willing to do with the money that we do have, right? Do I hold my stuff, do I hold my money like this? Or do I say, God, you gave it to me, so I'm going to hold it like this. You gave it, I have two choices. You've given it to me, God, so I'm taking it right? And it's mine. You can't have it back. You can't use it for what you want, right? Or I can say, you gave it to me, and I'll use it as long as you've given it to me, but I'm going to use it like this, because whatever you want to use it for, God, I want to be involved in the blessings that come with being involved in you using the money that you have given me, right? And so it's how we think about our money. And so we say, choose today, which kingdom you will serve. I want you to write these things down also. Number one is that money is only an earthly issue. Money is only an earthly issue. That should comfort most of us, right? If we choose today which kingdom I'm going to serve, I'm going to serve the kingdom of God, money's not an issue anymore, right? Even though I live on earth, I'm not going to live as though I live on earth, right? I live on earth, but I don't live of earth. I'm not going to worry about the money because money is only an earthly issue. And number two, it's a little bit longer one. If cash holds no value in heaven, then live as though it doesn't on earth either. Do you get that? Here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying quit your job. I'm not saying don't go get a job if you don't have one. I'm not saying be lazy with your money. I'm not saying be a bad steward with your money. Because God calls us to be good stewards with what he has given us. But how you think about it and how you live your life from this moment on, if money is only an earthly issue and if it has no value in heaven at all, right, then if we're choosing... I'm going to live as part of the kingdom of God and not as part of the kingdom of this earth, right? Then I'm going to live like money doesn't matter, right? If I am tempted to worry and I'm tempted to give up on God, right, because of my finances, I'm choosing to live as part of the kingdom of this earth. 
right? But if I say, you know what? I'm going to work as hard as I can. I'm going to honor God with my time. I'm going to honor God with my resources. And then when I've done that, I am not going to worry anymore because I'm choosing to have a, a kingdom of God mindset, not a kingdom of this earth mindset. So he goes on in the next few verses from talking about money specifically as a trial that a ton of people face, that I'm sure that most people in this room have faced at one time or another. He goes on from talking about that specific trial to generally talking about remaining steadfast under trial. So let's go to verse 12. Verse 12 to 15 says this. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Here's the deal. Trials like finances... Or trials that you find yourself in when you're like, man, God, I have just prayed and I have prayed and I have prayed and I have begged you to take this thing away. When it's hard to be joyful, when you feel the weight of the world on you, real trouble in life. These things, when you're deepest into the pit, really make you feel like giving up on God. You ever been there before? In the despair of the pit, when you have cried out, when you've cried out, when you've taken all the advice of all the Christians that have given you advice in this life, and you're like, God, you're still not answering me, right? I remember about five years ago, Heather and I were in this place of just the pit of despair, and uh, the pit of despair, sorry, that was a Princess Bride thing, <laughs> you didn't, but we were in the pit of despair, really. And, uh, and we said to our counselor, Heather, I remember Heather said this, she says, you know, I feel like all the attempts, all my attempts to climb out of this pit, right, and this was a muddy pit, all of my attempts to climb out of this pit just get me deeper in it. And what did our attempts look like? Our attempts looked like fasting, praying, reading the Bible, searching, searching, searching for truth, trying to get anything from God, Right? And yet we felt nothing. And we just felt like we were getting deeper and deeper into that pit. And the deeper you get in the mud, the harder it is to get out. And our counselor said to us, hey, maybe Jesus just wants to sit in the mud with you for a while. And I was like, what? Like in that moment, I felt so much relief. Because it didn't solve my problem, right? But I knew in that moment, yeah, like... I feel like giving up on God and trying to get out of this pit a different way because he's not hearing me, he's not hearing me, and he's certainly not helping me, right? I'm sitting there feeling like this, and Jesus is sitting right next to me. So I want to have these conversations with you. I want to spend time with you. I love you in the midst of your pain and your suffering. And Nick, I never told you that this life wouldn't be hard. Who told you that? Right? Who told you that? And Jesus just wants to sit with us. Jesus just wants to be with us. But then he reminds us there is an end 
in sight. There is an end in sight. So we struggle with these things. I heard a, I heard a quote from Beth Moore this last week. She said something like this, this is a paraphrase, but God doesn't allow you to go through any trial that is not completely necessary for you to go through to accomplish the mission that he has for you on this earth. It's like Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, and I love this, so I keep referring to it, and I'll refer to it again at the end, but he begged his father that if there was any other way to accomplish our salvation, do that instead of his death. And his father said no, because this is why Jesus was here. Father's saying, Jesus, you have to go through this to accomplish the mission that I gave you on earth. So we can put full confidence in the fact that if I want to live as part of the kingdom of God, I need to know that part of that is suffering through trial, right? I've got to grab on to that fact, Because God wants to accomplish something through you and in you that you can't even imagine. He wants to do immeasurably more than you could even think or imagine, right? So more than your mind can fathom, beyond the pain, beyond the suffering, even beyond the joy, God wants to do more through you in this life than you can even comprehend right now. And that includes giving you peace and giving you joy that is beyond your understanding. Do you get what I'm saying? That whatever pain you're sitting in right now, or whatever happiness is deceiving you to think that that's what life is about, whatever it is, God wants to use you beyond that. So you know that no matter how hard you try to get out of the pit, Jesus is sitting right next to you, and he just wants to hold you. He just wants to hug you. He wants to hold on to you. James is telling us, blessed is the one who stays steadfast to God through trial, because when you get to heaven, you're going to receive the crown of life. Let's go through this a little bit. The word steadfast, blessed is those who remain steadfast under trial. That word, or the word persevere in the Greek, means this, to bear up, right, to bear up under a load of miseries. That is not comforting, right? That's what you're calling me to? Like, I have to, I feel so weighted down by these miseries. My legs are about to give out, right? But he's saying, blessed is the one who bears up under that load of miseries. And that's how so many people are feeling right now, or you have been there before. And then it goes on to say, they will receive the crown of life. Now, that word specifically is not talking about a, a king's crown. Right? It's not talking about a crown of gold. It's specifically talking about the word there is used of people who would finish a sporting competition. They finished the race, and so it was more like a crown that was woven with uh, vines and flowers and stuff like that, and it was put on your head after you finished the race. Who ran the half marathon last weekend? Alex? Only, uh, hey, Brandon. Yep, there you go. Bob did not. Neither did I. No, neither did I. Right? And so these guys, they finished the race, right? I know Javier did, and he's got a funny story. Uh, on uh, mile 12, his legs just gave out to him, gave out from underneath him, right? And his partner had to push him across the finish line. 
right? Um, but here's the deal. If I was doing it, I would have given out a long time ago. But that's, that's the thing. It's like when you cross the finish line, you don't have to run anymore. Your legs might still hurt a little bit, but you get to lay down, you get to be done, and you get to say, I'm done. I don't have to suffer anymore. It's over. I look back at the suffering with joy that I'm never going to have to do that again. And that should be the way it is for anybody that runs a half marathon. I'm never doing that again. Right? Ever. <laughs> James is saying, yes, it's hard. But there is an end in sight. Imagine you struggle through this life. The struggle is real, but when you see the face of Jesus face to face, and he gets to say to you, well done, my good and faithful servant, you say, I did it. I'm done. It's over. And for the rest of eternity, you get to rest in the arms of your Savior. No more struggling. No more struggling. That is our hope. This is how we can persevere and stay steadfast. Choose today which kingdom you will serve. James doesn't stop there. There's a lot in this section, but it's, it's, I think it's pretty amazing the way he writes and it all just kind of fits together. You can connect one thing with the next thing with the next thing with the next thing because then he goes on to talk about, hey, these things are going to tempt you to turn away from Jesus. These things are going to tempt you to abandon Jesus. These things are going to attempt you to try other things to solve your issues, and it's going to push you to sin, right? But then he says this, each person, when he is tempted, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. He's like, hey, just in case you're confused, God only allows you to go through what will shape you to be more like Jesus. When you're tempted to sin, when you're tempted to live as part of the kingdom of this earth and not the kingdom of God, it's not God. It's not God putting you through that temptation, right? That is Satan. And what do we do? What does the Bible say to do when Satan tempts to sin? It says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Resist the devil, right? That takes some work. Mark talked about this several weeks ago when he talked about Bible memorization, but how did Jesus resist the devil? What did he use? Scripture. He knew God's truth, and so he used it to resist the devil. Know God's truth and use it to resist the devil. Because eventually, he will flee from you. Eventually, he will flee from you. It does not mean that you are going to go without suffering. But in a single area of your life, you resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Because what happens? Here's the process. First, you're tempted, and that word in the Greek means this, testing by soliciting to sin. 
Okay, there is nothing glamorous about that word. When you are tempted, it is something that is soliciting you to a desire to sin. The only end to temptation that Satan wants is that you give into it. Being tempted is not a sin, right? It's part of life. If, if being tempted was a sin, then Jesus would not have been sinless, right? But Jesus, he bared up under that load, right? And he did not give in. He knew the truth of God. So you're tempted, you're solicited to sin, right? When you are lured and enticed, here's what that word means, to bait or to trap, to draw out from the right way. So we become, we, when we are, because of our own desire that is fleshly and natural in us, Okay, those things are not going to go away because they are part of your nature, right? That is fleshly and nat natural in us when we give into it, it gives birth to death. Fish fishermen in the room? Anybody, anybody fishermen like fishing, right? Anybody been fishing? Okay, so we have a lot of people who have been fishing that are not fishermen. Well, here's the deal. Anytime you go fishing, what you put in the water is meant to lure to entice that fish out from its place of safety, right? Well, I used to fish with my dad growing up. We used to try to, it was a lot of pond fishing and lake fishing, and we used to try to find the spots where we'd go. And, and oftentimes we'd go right along the shore, okay? And if you see um, fallen trees or shadows, that's where you want to cast because that's where the, the fish will hide. That's where the fish will nest oftentimes, and the idea was we want to put that enticement, that lure, right near their place of safety, right? And then they see it, and it looks really, really good, right? And so they come out to it, and the only thing, right, the only thing that that lure leads to is that fish's death, right? It looked good. It looked good. But as soon as it came out from its place of safety and took that lure, right, it was dead. It was dead. That word death, sin gives way to death, is thanatos, and it means this, eternal death or second death, which means spiritual death. And you know what this verse just proves to us? It proves that every single person is in absolute need of a savior. You will be enticed. You will be lured away by things that look like good solutions in this life. But the Bible also says of Satan, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. He desires to destroy you, right? And right now, he is the prince of the power of this air, meaning he rules the earth, right? God is sovereign over it, and God loves you, and God meets you where you're at, but he gives Satan some leeway to rule this earth for now, <laughs> right? For now. That's just to tell us that struggles and temptations to sin are going to come. You cannot avoid them. But we choose today, 
which kingdom we will serve. The band's going to come back up. We're going to continue to worship together. But remember these things, that money is only an earthly issue. If cash holds no value in heaven, then live like life like it doesn't on earth either. That God will only allow what is meant to shape you to accomplish Christ-likeness for the mission he has for you on this earth. Stay steadfast, and there is an end to this struggle. Because then he goes on, and in verse 16 and 19 he says this, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creation. What that means is that every believer on the planet is going to be a first fruits of his creation. From everyone that he has ever created, if you are a believer, you are the first fruits of that creation set apart to be the people of God, right? So we choose today which kingdom we will serve. He will never tempt you to sin. He will only allow you to endure what is to make you more like Jesus. And so we're going to have a time where we're just going to take communion. We're going to remember what Jesus did for us. Again, I refer to this because I love this. This is astounding to me that Jesus felt this, this weight so heavy that he was sweating like drops of blood in his despair and begging God the Father, if there's any other way, then let's do that, right? And his Father said no, right? Because Jesus, this is why you came. This is why you are here. He came to redeem. He came to buy us back into rightness with God, with his own life. He came to set us free. Ultimately, he came to die for us, right? You've got to make that personal, right? Jesus chose to suffer in this life and stay steadfast to the end. But guess what? It did not end there. Because he died, but then three days later he rose, and then he ascended into heaven, and now he sits at the right hand of his Father's throne in glory. It was not over for him. He suffered, and now he's done. Right? And guess what? Because of that, that day is coming for you. If you're a believer in Jesus, that day is coming for you. I heard this by my favorite worship leader, David Crowder, new song he wrote this, this last week. I don't know if he wrote it this last week, but it came out on the radio, and it's, there's a line in it that said this. The cross meant to kill is my victory. That's awesome. The cross meant to kill is my victory. Why is that awesome? Because the moment that Satan saw Jesus die on that cross, only for a moment, he cried a cry of victory, right? <laughs> but whose victory was it? It was mine. It was yours. Because in that moment, little did Satan know that Jesus sealed the deal, right? That Satan, you may reign for a little while longer, but someday, someday, Jesus is going to defeat Satan forever and throw him into the lake of fire. And he will never, ever 
get out. That day is coming for us. So we're going to pray. And there's two tables up front. There's one in the back. If you're a believer in Jesus, come to those tables. If you're not, if, you, if you're very confused about what we're talking about this morning, I'll be in the back and I want to pray with you. Right? Even if you just need prayer and you're not confused, I want to pray with you. But this is why Jesus came to earth to suffer and then to die. But it didn't end there. And it doesn't end there for us. So let's pray. God, thank you so much. Jesus, thank you for being obedient to your Father till death on the cross, that you accomplished our salvation. God, we are desperate for you. I pray that we would choose every day to live as part of the kingdom of God and not the kingdom of this earth. God, I pray that you would, in the name of Jesus, cover us with his blood, that we would not believe the lies that Satan uh, presents to us every day, tempting us to fall into sin and run from God. God, strengthen us, strengthen us, strengthen us so that we can bear up under the suffering of this life. God, give us joy in the midst of trials. Thank you, Jesus, that we can know our hope is in you and that someday, someday, it all ends. And we get to see you face to face. We love you, God, and we need you in Jesus' name.
God, we, uh, we are before you with open arms. We want that to be what we say every day, that Jesus is the only name that I run to. Jesus is the only thing I run to in the midst of my struggle. Jesus is the only thing I run to when I'm tempted to sin. Jesus is everything in the blood that covers me. God, we claim that this morning. And I pray that you would remind us in your spirit to pray those things every day, that we would choose today which kingdom we are going to serve, that we would run to Jesus, not give in to sin. God, I pray that we would go and make Jesus' name great by the way that we live our lives and by the words that we say. Father, we surrender everything to you in Jesus' name. Amen. The challenge for you this week is to, to pray those things, to say those things to yourself every morning, but also practically, um, I think this, that um, to be a better Christian, you need other Christians, right? To be a better Christian, you need other Christians. And so share your struggles with somebody. Don't hide them, right? Don't hide them. The most freedom you could ever have is when you have nothing to hide. So share those things with somebody. Let somebody else love on you enough to pray for you, right? So you can receive healing for those things and move on, right? So we're going to sing one last song together, and I just want you to, to just surrender it all to him as we sing together and we go out and occupy our streets.